as platforms. So welcome, welcome, welcome. And also, I am part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network. You can find me on the JB Show on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a, at the Roundtable uh, on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please make sure to get this video a thumbs up if you're new to the channel. And also, please make sure to smush down that subscribe button. If you do, I promise you cookies, THC brownies, maybe even some hard candy, if I can give it through the camera. But it's a thought that counts, right? <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to all my patrons on Patreon and also in Coffee. Thank you so much for your additional support. And please let please know that I'm deeply humbled and I'm very grateful for you also giving your additional support and your contribution uh and just let you guys know that if you guys would like to this is also in the description below if you guys would like to give a little something something so the robert durden the one and only the man himself the myth the legend Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Yep. He is the host of Political Fight Club, PFC, as well as a member of the Indian News Network, as well as he is a prolific commentator on the political spectrum that we know is a clusterfuck that it's just, it is, it is. Right? Yeah, it's tough out there nowadays. Um, it's borderline, like, like lately it feels like I, I've gone crazy um, between, you know, possible World War Three and, you know, protests breaking out everywhere and Joe Biden making things infinitely worse in every way possible. Mm -hmm. um, it really feels topsy-turvy. Um, it feels like we're through the looking glass nowadays, which, you know, I imagine a lot of people who have their head on straight really feel crazy nowadays, which is, that's kind of my norm now. Yeah. Um, you know, being in this space is quite interesting. Um, and you notice that there's a lot of people who are on a slightly different part of the spectrum than you and I who they kind of contribute a little bit to it kind of seems like they're contributing to the propaganda instead of moving people away from the brainwashing that we see typically on mainstream media and things like that Yeah, 100%. Uh, particularly lately, it's a bit of a mask-off moment, I think, for these people who I kind of label as like boutique leftists. Uh, they tend to be anti-imperialist in their rhetoric, but then when the rubber meets the road, you see them all for us like getting into World War III to de yeah. defend Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, you also saw this with the trucker convoy. Uh, that was the other big mask-off moment, I think, lately, where people will claim that they're for working-class uprisings. But then when something like that actually happens and they do a protest that's effective, uh, that's 
anti-mandates, by the way. That's what they were protesting for up in Ottawa. I got you. Uh, a lot of these people suddenly will pick out little fringe groups that happen to be present there and mm-hmm. try to blow it up as if it's like Charlottesville. You know, they, they want to falsely equate what was going on with the trucker convoy with like, you know, a whole bunch of white supremacists with tiki torches chanting the Jews will not replace us in the middle of the night while defending a Confederate monument. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are not the same thing. And it, those people, I think, are kind of showing their true colors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their real plan is. If they really want a worker uprising, do they think that like, like the lefties are just going to coalesce and it's going to be all lefties that all believe exactly the same thing are going to create this movement? Yeah. I, I haven't seen that. I don't think that's the way it's going to be. I think it's more likely that we as lefties need to be cognizant of any worker uprising that comes along and contribute to it and, and be behind it and stand in solidarity with it rather than counting on us to conjure up by ourselves a movement. So yeah. I, I think those people have kind of shown their hand a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it doesn't mean I can't work with them, but those are some things that have been a little bit of, I would say, a mask off moment, at least over the last like month to six weeks. And um, I hope those people can see reason because I, I don't really think we're going to be able to just as um, lefties who all agree on exactly the same things are yeah. going to be able to conjure up an actual grassroots movement. We have to be inclusive of all workers of all shapes and sizes and ideologies and all parts of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the thing is that's, that there is utility in what's happened. Uh, we've been fighting amongst ourselves a little bit, but I think we now have seen that there are some people that disagree with us, uh, you and me, maybe. They, they tend to be a little bit more imperialistic, mm-hmm. and they're not as for a worker uprising as they may seem rhetorically. Mm-hmm. Well, you seem to have the focus more on worker solidarity while being able to convince people on the other side of, uh, of the argument as far as leftism. Uh, and that actually brings me to my first question. Now, you are a political commentator, and also you are a doctor. Uh, can you give us a brief summary on how you got into into this independent media space? How did you get into that? Yeah, I'm a doctor of chiropractic, so I have a, a bachelor's degree that's just pre-med, and then I went to chiropractic school in Iowa. And I lost my job. At, I, I graduated in 2015, and then I lost my job at the beginning of covid I actually worked through about eight months or nine months of COVID, and then I lost my job. So I was kind of coasting. I was looking for a way to basically make an impact since I had some time off. And I, I do a lot of writing. I write satire and horror stories and stuff like that. So I've written a few books that haven't been published, but I'm working on editing them right now. And I was looking for something to just kind of like take up my time and help me make an impact. So what I decided to do was just – start yelling into a microphone how I normally would (laughs) at my house as I'm walking around grumbling to myself about politics and the things I dislike. I decided to start doing that with my iPhone in front of me. And uh, as it turns out, people actually liked it, and it grew much more than I thought it would. I thought it was just something I was kind of doing for my own fun and therapy. Mm -hmm. But then uh, a lot of people liked it, so I kind of got into doing it daily. And... um, yeah, for over a year, I was I was jobless. I only recently got another job, and uh, I put up like 600 
episodes in that time. Mm-hmm. And basically all I was doing is just trying to do the news as objectively as I saw fit, you know, I, as, as objectively as I could, I mean. And uh, I also make jokes along the way, as you know, I'll kind of like, you know, I'll razz certain other YouTubers or particularly politicians and Joe Biden. Nobody goes after Joe Biden more than I do. So um, over the last year or so, I've kind of cataloged a lot of the missteps that the Democratic Party has made. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my spiel is I go after the Democratic Party right now because they're in power. And I've kind of picked out the squad a couple of times for missed votes that they flubbed, um, nonsense rhetoric that they put out on Twitter, stuff like that. So I got into it basically because I had nothing better to do. And I became kind of addicted to it. And it, now it's just kind of like my therapy. Like when I have 10 minutes to spare, mm-hmm. if I have something to say, I'll just go in my basement and yell into my iPhone. Mm-hmm. What radicalized you? Um, that's a good question. And I, I know you've asked this to a lot of people. For me, it was uh, Bernie Sanders dropping out this last time and not getting any concessions. Mm-hmm. And then what really sent me over the edge was the, the flubbed force the vote. Gotcha. Um, that's where I really started to see, like, there's a lot of people that purport to be for progress that really aren't for it the same way I am, the same way you guys are at RBN, mm-hmm. um, where they're actually willing to fight for it and use leverage at every possible time you can to get things that you need. And when I saw that, I kind of was like, okay, I got to get online. I really got to start being more militant. I got to start pushing the envelope a little bit. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but that devastated me. Bernie Sanders in particular dropping out and, like, endorsing Joe Biden, not calling him out for getting cheated a second time, Mm -hmm. and then not getting any concessions for his endorsement was just, like, it ripped my guts out. Yeah. So after that, I was like highly, highly motivated uh, to get online. And as you know, JB, on my show, kind of my thing too, the idea behind Fight Club is I also try to encourage other people to get on and raise their voice, mm-hmm. do a, either a podcast or even just getting on Twitter to help spread the word. So, because, you know, there's strength in numbers. I really wanted to try to um, encourage other people to do what I did. And uh, believe it or not, there are some people that did and they're telling me that it does feel good. You know, it is kind of like their therapy, same as it's my therapy. It feels good to get on and actually help us kind of push the envelope forward. So yeah, Bernie really him dropping out this last time was probably the first domino. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. For, for a lot of people, it was, it was a, it was a huge amount of frustration and it was kind of a revealing moment as to the psyche of who he is. And so we got to the point where we, it was almost like, uh, it's like that moment when you're a teenager and then you look at your parents and you're like, wow, you guys are really fucked up. <laughs> You know, and even if you have a great relationship with them, you you, you still you're just like, oh, my God. So you're not as perfect as I used to think you were when I was a kid. And so there's a lot of us that have that huge amount of disappointment because of it. But at the same time, a lot of us grew past him. We okay, so we were like this far on the left, Bernie was here, 
when he first started, you know, his message years ago, we moved right here. And then we start to move a little bit past him, but then he ran again, and we were like, okay. And then when he dropped out and started supporting Biden, we started going further and further and further and further and further until there was a huge gulf between us. And now a lot of us are like, was Bernie even that radical? Like, Bernie's, Bernie's not radical at all to us anymore. Bernie is milk toast to us, to a lot of us. It is it's wild how that transition has happened to those of us who were in the movement. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And um, a lot of that has to do, I think, with us moving left. But also, I think Bernie wasn't quite the person that he seemed out on the campaign trail. Mm-hmm. We've seen him since he, he has a position of power. He's yeah. the uh, head of the Senate Budget Committee. And he even indicated kind of tongue-in-cheek on the campaign trail for mm-hmm. Biden that if he got elected, Biden, yeah. that Bernie would then be you know, in a position where he could maybe hold up the military budget or do some things in the Senate. Mm-hmm. He has not done that. And even recently, his rhetoric has been very pro-imperialism. like He's been on the side of, well, let's demonize the living heck out of uh, Vladimir Putin, which I'm not saying Putin's a good guy. Um, but he's, again, kind of beating the war drums in a way that I never thought Bernie on the campaign trail would ever do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've even talked to other lefty YouTubers about this. Franco, I was on his show talking to him about this. Bernie just may not quite be as strong a lefty as we all kind of thought he was or as, as he seemed rhetorically the last two election cycles. So had he even been elected, I'm not entirely sure he would have gotten a lot done. Um, I think that he's no. um, he's a, a lot of bark and absolutely no bite, and even his bark isn't that good anymore. <laughs> so it's tough to it's tough to accept. But as a ob- person that's pretty objective on this stuff, I just kind of let him go. Yeah. And um, you know, it also kind of killed my uh, faith in electoral politics in general, which is a good thing. I think we need to move past that. I think this is this is all proof that the Democratic Party is a graveyard if you're uh, progressive trying to get things done. I think you have to operate outside the duopoly yeah. and um, mostly outside of electoral politics ent- entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, first of all, I want to say, hey, Sabby Sabs, happy birthday, Sabby. It's so good to see you on your birthday today. Hi, you Sabby. decided to come out and join me. Um, one of the things that you touched on was about electoral politics, and this is something that I, I've been thinking about. And I think a lot of us, at, like particularly you, people at RBN, um, people at Mikasa Sukasa, um, people you know at Harlan's Media, a lot of us are getting to the point right now where we're realizing that electoral politics is pushed so much because they know that it is l- that it is less effective at pushing for policy than direct action and what do i mean direct action is the power so electoral politics if you take electoral politics and see it as a hammer that hammer really has no power if you just sit it on the table. 
what puts the power behind it is actual direct action, which would be the muscle that you have in your arm to drive that hammer to put that nail, which is the politician, into the wall. The problem is, is that it, they're saying, oh, all you need is a hammer. You don't need any arms. And we're like, what the fuck do you mean we don't need arms? We need arms in order to drive the hammer, to drive the nail into the wall. But the problem is, is that we're constantly told we don't need arms. And so because of that, then this is one of the reasons why shit doesn't get done. Nails that don't get driven into the wall. Because they disarmed us. See how I did that there? They disarmed us. And made it so that, oh, well, you know what? All you guys need to do is just vote. It's like, yeah, I got a thousand hammers in here and no arms. And you're expecting me to drive these nails into the wall with nothing. It's like, yeah, I got the hammer, but I don't got any arms to drive it in. So that's what it feels like. And now the fact that we are arming ourselves by doing more direct action, it is now a threat. And now they're saying, oh, well, we got to we got to make some more laws to for for protests, because these people, we can't have them out there in the streets like the way they are. And it was a big scare during the George Floyd protest because they realized those arms came back. And they were like, holy shit, we cannot allow these people to have this direct action arm to drive us. So guess what? What did Ron DeSantis do? In fear in Florida. Tried to make it, and he's trying to make it more illegal to do any type of protesting. They get the police out there in the streets. So I, I, I bring all that back to when you said that you were kind of glad that you have less faith in electoral politics because it's making you wake up as well as me and many others to the realization that we got to get behind the true power that is direct action that can drive electoral politics that can drive these politicians to do what we want no matter who they are they can be progressive they can be in a gop if they're scared of you they will do whatever the fuck you say and that's one of the reasons why I think direct action is most sorely needed. Well, if I may uh, further your wonderful analogy, I think you nailed it, JB. <laughs> um, you, you're, you're the king of analogies, by the way. Uh, your analogies are my favorite thing on the planet. That's like wonderful. But you, you're what you're really doing is you're breaking it down for the viewer of the difference between inside and outside game, mm-hmm. and what a lot of these these people that we wouldn't really agree with on most things like the boutique left that are still on the democratic reformation train what Mm -hmm. they will try to tell you is that we need uh, an immense inside game and just to pump up our inside game but then they'll kind of poo-poo the outside game yeah i tend to agree that we need an inside game but the outside game has to be much stronger to force the inside game to run and um chris hedges talks about this all the time the key is not to try to put more good people in Congress. The key is to push the people that are in Congress to do what we want because they're afraid. So uh, I don't think that if any, any, and if if any uh, Justice Democrats get elected, it will not be very many. I'm not sure that any of them are going to get elected in the upcoming midterms. 
Uh, seeing what happened to Nina Turner and her race makes me think that it's a fool's errand to try to throw money at these people. There's going to be millions of dollars of dark money against them. So yeah. I, I think it's kind of foolhardy to put all of our effort into electing more justice Democrats. Yeah. I think it's a better, you know, a better use of our time and energy to try to force the justice Democrats that we already put in there to do what we want and do what they campaigned on. Yeah. So that's kind of my show in a nutshell. Like I'll, that's all I do. I, I, my entire sh- like shtick for the last 13 months has been trying to force big channels that mm-hmm. helped get the squad elected mm-hmm. to try to take their donation money away and get people like TYT and you know the you know who I'm talking about get them to come out on their channels and be like listen until the squad does a b c or d we're not going to encourage our viewers to donate to them or vote for them mm-hmm. and i've also tried to kind of go after the squad themselves at every missed opportunity yeah. to try to pressure them because I'm not saying that, you know, like, we're going to get everything we want. But if we make it uncomfortable for these people, the squad members and the people that helped get them elected that have these massive channels, perhaps that we can just get a few things, maybe an executive order here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be all that I would expect from a Biden presidency. But imagine that we got, like, I've always talked about Medicare for all via the Social Security Act, Section yeah. 1881 Alpha, because we can do that due to the pandemic. Everybody could have Medicare for all in an emergency situation. That's an executive order. But I mean, student loan forgiveness, uh, legalize marijuana. Yeah, that, that can be done as well. And another big one. Um, and I don't know if Brianna Joy Gray, who was just on your show, talked about this. You asked her about if she what she would do on her first day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if she mentioned you can pardon Julian Assange. That's another one. Like if we if we could just get one of those things mm-hmm. via an immense amount of pressure on these politicians, yeah. maybe, you know, I'll, I'll call that a victory. I don't expect much more than that from uh, Joe Biden. But what I've seen is that all the people that were saying, hey, let's push Joe left. As soon as Joe got in there, they don't push Joe left at all. And in fact, they attack people like you and I who yeah. attempt to push Joe left. So I think that they were completely full of shit when they were talking about vote blue no matter who and we'll push Joe left later. No, you just wanted to get a Democrat in there and maintain the status quo because a lot of these channels and indeed the squad are now kind of, they make good money, they're comfortable, they themselves don't have to worry about health care or their college loan debt or, and certainly a lot of these uh, channels don't want Julian Assange getting forgiven because he's a symbol of, you know, um, free speech in America. Mm-hmm. And as we're seeing, a lot of these people are not for free speech. They're very yeah. much for censoring um, mm-hmm. very militant voices on the left. You've seen a plethora. I'm, I'm banned on YouTube right now, as you wow. know, for the second or third time now. Um, and I'm not the only one. There's plenty of channels that have been taken down over the last two weeks. And there are people on the left, quote unquote, who have been all for it. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, when you spoke about pushing Joe Biden left... You know how we pushed FDR left? And people who know their history know that it was through direct action that pushed him left. If you think that just talking against him on a podcast is going to just push him left, you got another thing coming. And praising him and kissing his ass is not pushing him left. That's deadening, deadening 
people's thoughts on and, and their sense of urgency who could be activated to push him left. So, like our, our old friend Kyle Kalinske said, if you shoot for the stars, you may get the moon. All right? With that being said, if we truly wanted to get something done, it would be promotion of direct action. If you are someone in this space and you are not pushing relentlessly about direct action, like Nick said, you're deeply unserious. Because you want to talk about politics and then you want to rant about it, but you don't really want anything to change. If at least you can put the idea of getting out there and helping people to realize the power that they really have to change, then yeah, you're serious. But if you're not pushing for that, do you really want things to change? And furthermore, here's another question. How much are you willing to force things to change if you're making really good money in this space and you forget where you came from? Just a question that I got to ask people. You know, I'm not asking you in particular because, you know, I know you're struggling just like me. But to, to the, many of the people out there that are in this space, that have millions of followers and make hundreds of thousands of dollars on Patreon, what are you doing? Like, you know, are you pushing for that? Are you bringing on more activists? I'm not talking about the famous ones. I'm talking about ones that you don't know about that are doing things in different cities that you probably don't even know exist. That you probably can't point on a map. On a map. Just a thought. Um, yeah, I, I happen to agree with you. I happen to agree with you. A lot of it, I think, is you know they ha- they start off with the right intentions, but then you run into money. And if you're one of these really big YouTubers that makes you know a lot of them are millionaires. Yeah. Um, you get in an echo chamber and you get corrupted. Even if you're not actually physically taking bribes, you just you tend to defend the status quo because the status quo has made you rich. They've so been good the to you. Of an actual, right. Yep. And, and so like a, a revolution, that doesn't sound too good to you anymore. Uh, you're nice and comfortable. You can afford to wait four or six or eight years for health care or student loan forgiveness or whatever because you're comfortable. So yeah. the sense of urgency is not there. I think you're exactly right. And I think a lot of these people, they started off with the right intentions, but then you become wealthy and uh, it corrupts you. That's why I have one of my rules of PFC is uh, don't sell out. You have to like on principle not allow yourself to become rich. And if yeah. you run into money, immediately use that money as I'm trying to do on my show. If I ever run into money, the first thing I'm going to do is start building like sustainable homeless shelters. This is mm-hmm. the one thing I've been talking about for years or mm-hmm. a year now. Um, I don't on principle don't want to become like Kyle Kalinsky. Yeah. I would, if I had his amount of money, I would immediately try to figure out like how much I need just to like make it by and pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And the rest would be all for like mm-hmm. direct action, but also like doing things in my own community. I, I have no intention of being rich. And if I ever became rich, I would immediately make it so I wasn't rich again <laughs> because I don't want to be corrupted. I don't want to 
become yeah. part of that group. Yeah. It's like it's like being in a crowd of people outside with your pitchforks and torches. And you're at the front of the mansion. Door swings open. Butler comes in. He goes, you. You, sir. Come here. You walk up nervously by yourself. And then you go. <laughs> yeah, you. And then you go up to the, the steps. And he pulls you inside. Shuts the door. He's like, how are you? How are you feeling? Are you hungry? He takes... Well, he doesn't take your clothes off, not like that. But you take off your coat. They come in, and here is a huge feast, a spread, a banquet, all your favorite food. They have you sit down. And he go, and they, and the, and the owner of the home goes, "Look, I know you're suffering. I know things are hard, but." I promise, if you just stay here for a little while, and then save up, and then maybe you can go out there and help people, eat the food, take a nice hot bath in our jacuzzi tub, we have masseuses here, and then you can just stay in one of our many bedrooms, and live, live to your life's content, then you'll be able to go out there and finally help some people. What do you say? And then you go, well, I guess they would want me to, you know, eat better and have my strength and rest up a bit. And then they get you in there. But then guess what happens? You're now sitting in that same chair and you tell the butler to go outside and pick one person. And that butler does the exact same thing. Meanwhile, you have people by the tens and hundreds dropping like flies outside. But you're just like, give me one person, bring them inside. And you see the people dropping like flies by the hundreds. But every single time, bring one person in. Bring them inside. If you're the person that goes inside and decides to stay inside, are you truly helping the people out there? Where has your sense of urgency gone? Because if you lost it, you need to get it back. Because we're dying by the thousands. We're dropping like flies. And we're sick and tired of sending one of you in to do shit, to only come out and to grab just one more of us. Because we can't afford it. We need you to bust that door open and say, everybody come in. But nobody's willing to do it. Yeah, um, and I think uh, to a large extent you're, by the way, another stellar analogy. Um, uh, you're talking about AOC Inc. What they do is, I think they start off with good intentions, but then they yeah. get lured in, and it's not just direct yeah. bribes. Yeah. It's they get introduced to a world where, like, they can go to fancy parties and Met galas, 
and they can virtue signal by wearing a dress that says tax the rich, but then behind closed doors, are they really any different than Nancy Pelosi? I don't think that they really are. They have the veneer of progressivism, Yeah. and I think that the establishment actually uses them as tools that way to nerf actual progressive ideology but also movements because they go, hey, don't you worry. Things are getting done because we have a couple progressives in the house with us. And don't you worry. They're fighting. They're getting you things. Yeah. They And then they'll go out and tweet, and their rhetoric is good. Mm-hmm. But then the, the results that are produced don't match the rhetoric at all. I don't know if you saw recently, but mm-hmm. AOC was recently tweeting about how, you know, I think it was like the Biden administration is allowing people to become homeless. And uh, a couple of people tore her a new one on Twitter because it's like, didn't you and Cori Bush like go out there and put on that fake protest to get the eviction moratorium extended? You got a whole bunch of photos taken and you gave the everybody the idea that you were fighting, even though you had a protest that you didn't promote in the middle of the night on the day before the eviction moratorium ended with just a bunch of your staffers instead of 10,000 people that you could have easily gotten just promoting it on your Twitter. Mm-hmm. They got a bunch of pictures yeah. taken, it got extended for another month, and then it got shot down again, but they still did a victory lap as if they did something, and then AOC, you know, whatever, six months later, is going out there on Twitter acting like, oh, well, this is such a tragedy. Well, if it's such a tragedy, then why didn't you throw an actual protest? Why did you throw that fake, you know, it was the facade of protest. It's not an actual protest. These people behind closed doors are doing essentially the same thing that the establishment Democrats are doing. They're just slightly different in their rhetoric on Twitter and whatever, and it's getting a little bit old. People are seeing through it. I don't know if you've seen, but basically every time any of the squad tweets something virtue signaling on Twitter, they immediately get dragged. And it's good because they have literally done nothing. Um, Pramila Jayapala gave Joe Biden an A like a year ago uh, for his performance. I wonder if she would still stick to that. these people aren't really fighting for us. Uh, they go into the house, like you say, and they get introduced to the good food and the nice fancy clothes and the lifestyle. And the deal is, from Nancy Pelosi to them, is, listen, you're going to go out there and you're going to tweet like you're doing stuff. And you're going to give the veneer of progressive progressives fighting in the House and in the Senate. But we all know behind closed doors what team you're on. And if you decide to fight against me, all of this that I've just given you is gone. We're going to make your life hell. The mainstream media is going to tear you a new one. Every time you say something progressive, every time you challenge the elites, you're going to get shredded. And everybody's going to hate you at work. And we're just going to ruin your life the way they did to Ralph Nader and among many other people. So the deal is like you can either have it, have the nice, comfy lifestyle and pretend like you're fighting. And if you actually fight, we'll destroy you. And it's really sad. That means you really need a very strong person to go in there. And I I don't know if that person exists. I don't think that anybody um, can go in there and resist that much. Yeah. Uh, AOC went in there like, ooh, I'm going to a fancy party. We're going to wear a dress called text rich, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you can tell she loves it. Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. She didn't get bought out by them just throwing money at her. They just go, hey, listen, you can be like a, a, you know, a celebrity princess. Yeah, yeah. We'll put you on the cover of magazines. We'll promote you. We'll say that you're doing a good job. We'll say that you're very effective in Congress, and we won't demonize you whatsoever. And then behind closed doors, you do exactly what we say. 
that's I think what happened, and it was an easy yeah. decision for her but, because I think she wants that. She likes the notoriety and the fame and all the cameras on her and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wasn't strong enough to tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. What I think we're getting to learn now is we don't necessarily need anybody strong. It's good to have somebody more sympathetic, but all we got to do is scare them. That's all we exactly. really have to do. Um, and and that's, I, I, that has to be the game plan, I think. You know, the, the yeah. stronger the outside game gets and the more kind of aggressive it gets in its rhetoric towards these people, um, I think that they will start thinking twice. We, but we have to hit them in their pocketbooks, mm-hmm. meaning don't yeah. allow them to get as many donations. That means cancel your donations, which I have. Mm-hmm. I, I will never donate to another Justice Democrat mm-hmm. until I see Medicare for All vote some sort of fight in Congress. I will never do that. If we all did that together, and then also like as a huge entity, indie left media, we're like united in demonizing them for not doing anything, yeah. then maybe they start thinking twice. But right mm-hmm. now they have the mainstream media backing them up, yeah. you know, promoting them, mm-hmm. and uh, they're doing just fine with their donations because not enough of us have actually stopped donating to them. A lot of people are still living in La La Land where they're donating to AOC and, you Mm -hmm. know, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Um, And so they haven't really been threatened when it comes to maybe losing their seat. And unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen in the future. We're pretty divided on the left when it comes to, like, neglecting the squad and, in fact, Democrats, our votes in our donation money. It's only, you know, you, me and a handful of other uh, channels that are really pushing for that. So I don't know if there's any reason for the squad to actually change what they've been doing. And you want to know the saddest part, JB, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but our window for opportunity is really kind of closed already because the only time we were going to have to push Joe Biden to include some things in an omnibus bill, we're really in the first year of his presidency. I don't think another bill is going to pass between now and the midterms, and the Democrats are going to get smoked in the midterms, probably lose the House and the Senate, and if not both, one of the two, certainly. And then after that, they have a convenient scapegoat for getting a whole lot of nothing done again for the last two years of Biden's presidency. And I think, honestly, you're looking at a Republican majority for mm-hmm. like four to six years. Yeah. So I think that our, our window of opportunity is more or less closed. Yeah. It was really Biden's first 12 to 14 months in office that we had a chance to really get some stuff included in the Build Back Better bill. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do it. We were not united um, in the lefty media space. We were not united um, in terms of the the squad members doing Tea Party tactics. They weren't united in their voting tactics. Mm-hmm. And now I don't think they're going to have enough time before midterms to try to shoehorn another bill in. And in fact, I don't think the Democrats even want to. I, I don't. I, if there were some sort of big bill, I think they would sandbag it to the point where it would either die. Or it would go on to through the midterms, in which case you still will never be able to pass it because the Republicans will have a majority in the House. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's sad, but our tactics have to update here. And in fact, I'm I'm adjusting on the fly to doing far more promotion of direct action on my show now mm-hmm. rather than attacking the squad as much as I have, because now I honestly think they, they don't really have much leverage anymore. Their one true power for the first year that Biden was in office was Tea Party tactics, blocking yeah. every bill possible, shooting the hostage, and using that leverage and that power to make Joe Biden do some things. But since yeah. there are no more bills between now and the midterms that are of substance, mm-hmm. 
I don't know how much leverage they even had. So I, I'm changing gears a little bit. I'm really like focusing hardcore on, I'll still call them out when they make mm-hmm. mistakes on my show. But uh, my second season of PFC is going to be a lot more like direct action and mutual aid oriented. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we're in for a very rough six to seven years, JB. I hate to yeah. tell you, buddy. No, it's going to be know. nasty for the next, next six to seven years. Yeah. Uh, look, I know this is going to sound very random of me, but your lens on your camera has like a softness to it, and you look like you're on a Barbara Walters special right now. <laughs> yeah. You know how Barbara Walters is always that soft lens? <laughs> Yeah, I do. And I, like, I know I'm like super white, but I like look really white. <laughs> yo, yo. So I'm, like Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, 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 no. You're friendly, but you're not a ghost. Not at all. Well, uh, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yo, I this conversation is too good. I can't even get to my questions. Damn. Um. As usual. As usual, we yeah. all have fun, don't we? Yeah, when the conversation is good, it's kind of hard to get to your questions. Um, fucking, I'm gonna skip that one. Um, so, what? I should ask this. What is some advice you would give to people who want to venture into this media space? Well, kind of, kind of like what I preach on my show is like, just get involved. I think a lot of people out there, they underestimate their own skill set. Um, and it doesn't just mean like, if you can do a show like you and I do, that's great, but not everybody's cut out for, uh, getting online and actually talking for 10, 15 minutes or an hour at a time. Mm -hmm. If that's not your thing, if you're too shy, you can just jump on Twitter, but there's other things you can do. Help us. Um, like for instance, the indie news network, which I'm proud to be a part of. A lot of people are just mods, or they'll help pe- teach people how to use software, or they'll do editing for them, or mm-hmm. they'll even write songs for us as intro songs. There's a million different ways you can get involved. And also, guys, mutual aid, it's a it's such a blanket term, but there's so many things you can do to help people in your community. Mm-hmm. You can help people babysit their kids if they are uh, you know, a couple that has uh, two jobs and they have a hard time paying for childcare. We were counting on Joe Biden giving us universal child care. That's a down the drain. So yeah. you can help people with that. If you mm-hmm. if some people need a ride to work, you can help them with that. Do they need help with if they're elderly? Do they need help with lawn work? Um, can you cook for people? There's a million different ways that you can help your community. And that's where I'm really trying to focus now is on things that you can really, really do for others that live nearby. Yeah. Um, it's going to be key for us to take care of each other because I got news for you guys. Biden's not going to do anything for the next two and a half years. Yeah. He's going to get wiped out by Trump more than likely. And Trump, even though he is not quite as bad as Biden, he's still like the second worst thing to the devil. And mm-hmm. he's going to get back in there and do a whole lot of nothing as well. So we have to take care of each other. So it really has to be like we have to get over – we have to convince ourselves that it's worth it and that we actually do have skills that can help other people. Um, and I try to make it fun. Like mm-hmm. what I do now is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the episode JB before I got banned, I was talking and actually, I think I actually only put this one up on Rockfin and rubble. Sorry. So it's not on YouTube. Um, I try to make my 
my direct action kind of different and fun. So mm-hmm. you you notice that there's a lot of censorship going on right now, right? I don't know if you've seen that, like, for instance, in China, the end of the movie Fight Club has been edited out where they take out the last two minutes of the movie and they put up an excerpt that says Tyler Durden was then apprehended by police because they don't want to see the end of the movie, which is the real revolutionary part. It eventually was taken back, but you see that, um, for instance, there are other comic books and books by black authors and like V for Vendetta, which are now being taken off of bookshelves, particularly in schools. So what I decided to do was once I heard about a bunch of these books being censored and people trying to take them off of bookshelves, I immediately went out and took what little money I was getting from Patreon and bought a stack of used books of all of the ones that I think are going to be censored here in the future. I got a lot of Fight Club, V for Vendetta, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Bluest Eye, I Know Now Why, The Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, a whole bunch of them. I got 30 of them, and I'm going to keep doing it. And what I did is I laminated a note that I put on the inside of all the books and turned them into pay-it-forward books where I hand them out to a bunch of my friends and say, listen, you read this book. And then the idea is it should never end up on a bookshelf ever. It's public property now. And you have to give it to somebody else and give them the same instructions, tell them to read it, and then give it to somebody else who they think needs to read it. And that way, all of these books that are going to be censored here in the future, pretty much guaranteed, are now circulating through my hometown in enormous numbers. And then I also put at the bottom of the uh, laminated note, here's the address of the library go downtown if you don't know anybody that you can give it to that wouldn't read it go donate it to the bookstore in the basement of the library Mm -hmm. and i go by there every uh two weeks and rebuy them and then redistribute them again so they always come back to me or they're circulating so like that's just me man like i try to do little things it didn't cost me much i think it's fun and it's a way for me to like personally fight censorship in my own unique creative way but there's a bunch of different ways you can do that and throw a monkey wrench into the system, guys. Be creative. Have some fun out there. That's, you know, PFC ideology. I also uh, got a bunch of movies that are going to be censored here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. V for Vendetta, Fight Club are two of them. And I made a deal with a bunch of managers of local uh, movie theaters. And I made a deal with them that they'll allow me a uh, movie theater twice a month to go show all of them, two at a time, all summer long. So I have 20 movies picked out, and we're doing a big, like, movies for mayhem marathon where i'm just inviting people to come watch these movies for free and i'm providing the uh the snacks and uh, maybe even you know some booze and stuff like that so those are just two of my little projects on the side be creative guys there's a million different ways you can get involved and help oh yeah that's guy okay that's what i'm talking about Ooh, here the idea guy got some good ideas okay Thank you yeah, very you much for that. Y'all hear it? Y'all been listening? I'm just doing it in my town. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm just doing it in my town, but like, I, I can be responsible for my community in my town fighting censorship in my own weird way. Yeah. But if, uh, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 other people do something similar in their towns, then suddenly we've got like an anti censorship like defense mechanism. Yeah. And it's fun. It really is. I'm looking forward to it, quite frankly. Um, uh, the people that I talk to at the movie theaters are also looking forward to it. They think it's a great idea. They, they themselves are going to be attending. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and we will uh, have some drinks. I, uh, Robert Durden will be at those movie theaters. I'm going to have people come that know me from my show are going to come, and we're going to hang out, shake hands, fist bump, have some snacks, and you know, fight the establishment our own way. Nice. That, I like that. Thank you so much for that. That's great. Um, 
now all right so here comes one of the questions hypothetical question there's a president robert durden of the united states it's january 20th your inauguration day what are the first three actions you're taking as president within your first 100 days well, let's let's start off by my first action would be to do a speech where my first words are going to be my fellow Americans, they're about to cut off this transmission and they're probably going to suicide me. And if it doesn't get cut right then and there, I'm going to explain to them, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do some executive orders here in a second, but before that, I need your guys' help. I need 50,000 people outside of the White House right now to protest with me. And after this speech, I will meet you out there at a podium and we're going to rally. We're going to like you basically throw an enormous protest outside of the White House to flex on them just to show them our numbers. And then if you're talking specifically what I would do as far as executive orders, which they would almost certainly have me killed for would be um, what I just kind of mentioned. Section 1881 Alpha of the Social Security Act can be used to give Medicare for all to everybody during a pandemic. That'd yeah. be priority number one. Uh, forgive all student loan debt and make, you know, that would lead to free college. Mm-hmm. Um, legalizing marijuana and releasing all of the people afterwards that have been uh, jailed for nonviolent drug offenses. Mm-hmm. That would be hundreds of thousands of people would be out of jail. I think about 400,000 people would be out of jail because of that. And then the other one, and this is a big one, and this is the one that would really get me in trouble, is I would pardon Julian Assange and, and not just pardon him. I'd probably figure out a way to give him a medal, like like give him a ceremony and drop all charges and make sure that he understands that he's a hero, reinstate mm-hmm. him, make sure that he can get back to work at WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I would I was also pardon Ed Snowden, all the whistleblowers. All Those whistleblowers, are the four yeah. main things that I would do. Um, and before I go beyond your three too much, the other thing that's important to know right now, Lee Camp wrote about this. As the executive, you can actually change the rules based around the red button, the red button for launching nukes in the United States. Oh. Right now, you only need the president to do it, but the president can change the rules so that, for instance, it doesn't just take the president. You also have to get like the approval of the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader, and all of them would have like their own button, meaning you need, you need all of them to do it. That would be a good thing to do immediately because, as we know, Trump is going to end up back in office if you really want to make sure that that crazy buffoon doesn't have the sole power over that red button. That would be something I would do immediately. That's important now, especially with you know, what's going on in Ukraine. You can do that unilaterally as the president. So that would be another one that's important that almost nobody's talked about. I would definitely do that as well. That's great. By the way, you were wrong by a few days. Your prediction, <laughs> your prediction for Jimmy Dore passing Kyle Kalinske, you were wrong. You said today it happened last week. Robert, you were wrong. I know, and and one of the rules of Fight Club is admit when you're wrong. I 100% was, and I came out and actually did say I was wrong. But here's the thing that happened, JB. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that they were actually on pace, I was following Jimmy Dore was chasing Kyle Kalinske in subs. Jimmy was on pace. He was putting on about 1,000 subs a day mm-hmm. for like 40 days in a row. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was nasty. He was on a tear. And I predicted that he would pass Kyle Kalinske on March 7th or 8th, similar – 
Russell Brand was chasing TYT mm-hmm. and putting on about 10,000 subs a day, and he was also on pace when I made that video to pass TYT on March 8th. Now, Russell Brand has passed TYT today. Today? Uh, or, he, or he's tied, yes. He's tied. So I was exactly right on Russell. But here's the thing. Russell Brand had Jimmy Dore on his show five or six days ago, and so Jimmy has been putting on 4,000 subs a day because of the boost that Russell gave him. So oh, Russell my God. Like, the, it was like they're both on a breakaway, two on O in basketball, and Russell's got the ball, and he could dunk it, but instead he alley-oops it off the backboard for Jimmy to come in and windmill dunk. So it actually the only reason that I was wrong is because Russell boosted Jimmy so well on his show. And it makes me Every so day the young turks delivers two now. hours of Oh, sorry, I, I heard something. Um, if you look at Jimmy's uh, subs now, he's up on Kalinske by like 15,000 subs. Because mm-hmm. his pace went up because of Russell Brand. Okay, so Russell Brand is about ten thousand subs behind Tyt. Is he? Yeah. Um, and, and that's his pace for a single day, and it has been for the last forty-five days or so. So by yeah. the end of the day today, if he, especially if he uploads a video that goes a little viral, he will pass Tyt today. If not today, it'll be early tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Yeah, it should <laughs> be today great. or tomorrow. He he just he just yep. posted a, a a video about three hours ago and it already has two hundred eighty seven thousand views. So really, yeah, you three know, hours see, ago. For him, that's actually a, that's actually a little bit slow. I've seen him put up a video that gets like two hundred thousand views in like an hour before a couple of times, and a lot of his videos lately have been up in like the one point three to one point five million range. Whereas you know, conversely. TYT, if you go look at them, they have 5.17 million subs. Russell has 5.16. Mm-hmm. TYT averages something like 50,000, uh, 100,000 on a hot day for a video. They very rarely break 120,000. Jimmy actually does way more than that nowadays, and he's got just under a million subs. And Russell, who is equal with TYT and subs, is way up in the one to one and a half million range. So that tells you, like, you know, in a microcosm, Russell Brand is just kind of a lefty who doesn't label himself a lefty. He just mm-hmm. kind of tries to get us all to love one another and has some good ideas in terms of, like, moving the progressive movement forward. But he also goes out there and attacks mainstream media. He goes yeah. out there and he attacks Bill Gates all the time. And it works. He's growing like wildfire. TYT does exactly the opposite. They go out there and they defend the status quo and they... Russiagate and use McCarthyite smears against uh, really good journalists all the time. And people aren't picking up what they're laying down anymore, so they've been stuck there forever. And this is one of the few things that makes me happy in today's politics, JB, I got to tell you, is the growth of comedians who are now being looked at as truth tellers and Mm -hmm. sort of news pundits. Mm Mm-hmm. And at the same time, all of the old school news pundits are being looked at as clowns. So there's been a role reversal, and those those channels are dead in the water. I mean, Jimmy's going to pass Sam Cedar here pretty soon. At his current pace, it won't be more than a month or so before he passes Sam Cedar, who's again, he's at 1.17 million, averages like 20,000 or less views per video. Jimmy's up at 140, 150,000 views per video. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we can tell who the people's champions are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but 
And I know he's not as further to the left as, as I am. But something tells me that some of this success of comedians telling the news is attributed to Jon Stewart. Um, yeah. Because people typically started to get their news from him instead of the regular media. Yes, he's still part of the machine, but he was deviating, you know, within, you know, and to them, a lot of times, like, you know, Viacom, they were basically like, okay, you're fringe, so you do your thing over there, but really, he was, like, knocking up the mainstream media at the time, um... And so a lot of, you know, a a few comedians, you know, took that to heart. They were like, okay, this works for him. Why can't it work for me? And now you see people like Russell Brand and Jimmy Dore. They're both comedians. And to some extent, uh, Rogan as well. I I know I don't agree with Rogan on everything, but his success is is able to be replicated because Mm -hmm. even though I don't agree with Rogan on everything, I think the average viewer can tell that he's not bullshitting you. Mm-hmm. Like, he's at least giving you his honest opinion on things. So it's a new paradigm. And it's actually a good thing because it means that I think in the future, uh, a lot of our news is going to be gotten from uh, sources that basically function like The Daily Show used to, which mm-hmm. is we'll give you the news, but we're also going to give you commentary, some jokes, and we're going to kind of be ourselves on the set rather than being, you know, some button up person who. Kyle Kalinske wants to be, you know, they want to be that robotic person reading off the teleprompter. Most people don't trust that person anymore. Um, oh, good job. Nice job, guys. I knew you'd get there. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to hit 15,000 by the time we get to our anniversary on April 1st. Yep. If you guys uh, get hot, you have a chance at that. Uh, I really hope you do. I'll, I'll do some promoting on uh, my channel when I'm uh, unbanished. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But yeah. Um, so just to any, anybody that's listening to the podcast, if you guys want to get the full interview, you guys are going to have to go to my YouTube page to come and uh, listen to it. Um, but uh, the final, let's say not final question. Um, what is something that you're going to double down on in 2022? Uh, I think direct action, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to convince my viewers to get involved somehow, whether it's just protests, Mm -hmm. activism, or straight up direct, uh, direct action. Like in the town that's south of us, Pekin, they have a, an Amazon factory that's going up and it's supposed to be done sometime in the middle of this year towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I'm making it my goal to really try to convince anybody that I know personally here that happens to go work there to immediately start trying to unionize. And I'm going to try to make myself as big of a problem for that Amazon factory as I can. And my thing is I'm going to go and tell them, listen, tell somebody else about how we can unionize here. We're going to get as many people as we can. There's going to be about 500 workers there. So my goal is if I get 200 of them, 250 of them, we really got a good chance of getting unionization. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them, if you guys decide you need promotion, let me know. Here's my number. Call me. I'll come down with my phone. I'll film some interviews. I'll talk to you guys. And then I'll come back and promote it on my show. And I'll talk to some other people that have shows. And we can all help promote your union drive. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, that's just a little thing. Mm-hmm. You can get involved in a million different ways, so I'm really doubling down on that. Mm-hmm. My first 
season of PFC was really going after the squad hard because we had that little window of opportunity to get some stuff in the Build Back Better plan. Yeah. But now I'm doubling down on mutual aid and yeah. direct action initiatives. That's yeah. that's really what I'm doubling down yeah. on now. I also think that, and, and I think this is an idea for me to start promoting co-op businesses on my channel. Yep. Uh, there's one that I know of that they we follow each other on Twitter, and I'm thinking about at least doing it from my channel uh, because co-op businesses are something that needs to be, you know, promoted. So 